Good morning again and welcome to Grace Bible Church. We're going to be again back in the book of James. James chapter 3. Let me pray for us and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for our time this morning. We pray that you would bless this time of preaching your word, worship, and preaching. Father, I pray that we would see this as a time of, of worship, that, Lord, this is really the, the culmination, the pinnacle of what we do every week here uh, before you, Lord, that we would bring our worship to you uh, through the preaching and through hearing the preaching and heeding what you would have to say. We thank you, Lord. We just ask that you would, again, bless this time, that you would give me clarity of, of mind, clarity of heart, that I would communicate in a way that's understandable. Lord, I pray, though, that I would uh, decrease, that you may increase. I pray for those listening that your Holy Spirit would be help, would be illuminating uh, what is being taught this morning. In Christ's name, amen. The title of the sermon is, So You Think You're Wise. So you think you're wise, right? That's a question. Just this week, there were two prominent celebrities who committed suicide. The first was Kate Spade, a designer of handbags and clothing and jewelry. And the second was Anthony Bourdain, a celebrity chef and CNN host. This news, probably because of the proximity of these deaths and, and the way that they died, has sent shockwaves through our nation. America's elites are asking themselves, what's going on? They're trying to figure out why this is happening. As you know, this just this marks the just two of a long line of prominent suicides and, and deaths among the among those who are celebrities. From high profile deaths of people who may have specifically committed suicide but but led destructive li- lifestyles may not have specifically committed suicide, but they led destructive lifestyles which led them to their untimely deaths to people who flat out said that this life is not worth living. There are names you might know uh, Whitney Houston would be one. Robin Williams would be another, Michael Jackson, Amy Winehouse, I don't exactly know who that is, but Kurt Cobain, that's from my past, I know who that is. Elvis Presley would be another one, Prince would be another one. The world is trying to figure out, the world is trying to figure out why these people who have it all, according to the world standards, right? They, why they ultimately decide that life isn't worth living and they throw it all away through drug use or through other means to take away the pain. The world's trying to figure these things out. Now we know that these people needed Christ, right? We know. We, we have the answer in the Word of God that they needed Christ. They needed to understand their ultimate purpose. But I would say that, they did, that there was something else that led them down this dark road something that they all did they all did something very similar that led them down this very dark road they brought bought in that in, that is they bought into the wisdom of the world they bought into the philosophies of this world they 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 bought into the world's philosophies that are so prevalent 
This is what James calls the type of wisdom that is from below. This is what James calls the type of wisdom that is demonic, even. You see, there is no hope in the world's wisdom. There is no hope in the world's philosophies. They test this worldly wisdom, they being these celebrities. They test it. They test this worldly wisdom and philosophies with all the technology available to our modern world. Think about that. They have airplanes to take them anywhere in the world they want to go. They have smartphones which allow them in real time to communicate with huge amounts of people. If you look at Twitter, you see these people have huge amounts of followers. They can communicate minute by minute with a watching, adoring, and sometimes, many times, a cruel world. This, world, this worldly wisdom is pervasive even in the church. Most of us have bought into worldly wisdom to one level or one degree or another. We all believe that we have learned how to live in this world. That's what it really wisdom boils down to be. Where did we get our answers? That's the question. Where did we learn how to live in this world? That's what we have to ask. Is there any way, though, then to know if we are off track and in danger? Is there any way to know that? Is there any way to know these things? In our text today, James will give us help. He's going to give us help in seeing whether or not we have bought into the world and into what all, the, all that the world has to offer. James is going to offer four assessments to differentiate whether your wisdom is heavenly or earthly, godly or demonic. Now let me, let me read in James chapter 3, let me read our, our passage before we, before we dive in. Starting in chapter 3, verse 13. James writes, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and, and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So the first test or the first assessment that, that James gives us is, first, is your wisdom revealed by good works? Is your wisdom revealed by good works? James 3.13, he says, Who among you is wise and understanding? This is a simple rhetorical question. He wants, them, he wants to know, he wants them to think, he wants to know who believes that they are wise and understanding. Now he's probably referring back to James chapter 3 verse 1 where he says let not many of you become teachers. Now I don't believe that he here in this verse of chapter 3 verse 13 I don't believe that he's referring to the teachers alone. I believe he's being more general to that than that. But he's referring to anyone who would become a teacher. And he may be also, I think he probably is referring to how we should evaluate those who teach and lead us. He wants the reader to understand then that there are two types of wisdom. There are two types of wisdom. Wisdom from below and wisdom from above. Wisdom from above or heavenly wisdom then begins with the fear of the Lord. 
This wisdom enables us to discern what is right and just before the Lord, according to Proverbs 2.9. And according to Proverbs 2.20, this wisdom leads us to walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of of the righteous. But in stark contrast to this biblical perspective, there were certain, in James's time, there were certain Greek ideas of wisdom, which prized intellectual ability and knowledge of design, or that knowledge of divine secrets. And many times, this wisdom was detrimental to moral life. Does that sound familiar? That, that there's philosophies out there, there's ideas of wisdom that prize intellectual ability and, and knowledge of divine secrets, and they're detrimental to moral life. We see that every day in our world, right? James wants to ensure that those who would teach and lead God's people would have the right type of wisdom. Wisdom that is from above, not from below. Because if the teachers don't have wisdom from above, neither will the people. Do you understand that? If teachers don't have wisdom from above, neither will the people. So he means by his question then, who thinks that they have true wisdom from God? And we can infer that he wants them to be able to understand true wisdom that is from God. But we need to take some time to define this word wisdom. James in in chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, in verse 5 specifically, he already brought this subject up. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. James states that when when the Christian is struggling through trials, he brings that up in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, when he's struggling, when the Christian is struggling through trials and tribulation, they find that they, and they find that they lack the wisdom, they need to, 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 they need to get through the trial, they must go to God and ask for the wisdom that's needed. So where do they find this, this wisdom? They find it in the Word of God, which is from God. They find it in the, 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 the Bible. From the scriptures, John Newton says this, The chief means for attaining wisdom are the holy scriptures and prayer. So the, the Christian then, when he's struggling, when, he's go, when, when he or she is going through difficulties and, and going through suffering, the Christian must go to the Word of God and he or she must seek for God's will and prayer. Understanding that God is not going to answer in an audible voice, but He will give us wisdom through His Word as we diligently seek Him. Does that make sense? Just this week I saw uh, uh, an article. It says, man sitting literally three feet away from Bible asked God to speak to him. According to, to sources, local man Stephen, Steve Harrison fervently prayed Thursday that the Lord would speak to him and make his will for the man's life clear, all while sitting literally three feet away from God's Word as revealed in the Bible. He prays this, Father God, if you would just speak to me, Father God, Harrison prayed as God's prophetic Word made more sure sat just on the other end of the table as he was at, at which he was seated. If you would just show me your plan for my life and just reveal your truth to me, Father God, he continued, somehow missing the fact that God's truth had already been perfectly revealed to him in the Scriptures. I just really need you to speak to me personally, Lord. Of course, this is Christian satire. It's Babylon B, right? If you guys are familiar with that. But it illustrates a great point. 
It illustrates a great point. James desires for the Christian to pray and ask for God's wisdom, but we must understand that God has revealed what we need to know in His Word. And ultimately... This will be shocking if you think about it. Ultimately, God uses trials and suffering in our life so that we would seek Him and so that, so that He would be able to sanctify us through them so that we can truly understand the answer that he, answers that He's already given in His Word. Do you get that? He puts us through trials and difficulty and suffering so that we would seek after Him, and so that we would come uh, to, to, so that He, through the trials and difficulties, would sanctify us in His Word, so that we could truly understand the answers He's already given to us. <coughs> James even says that we must continue to ask of God which is reminiscent of the teachings of of Jesus, that we must continually seek God for the answers that we need. It says in Luke 11, 9, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. We need to continually seek after the Lord in prayer and in His Word in order to know God's wisdom to be able to navigate this difficult life. And we must diligently seek after those answers. I want you to know, though, He doesn't spoon-feed us. Think about that. He doesn't spoon-feed us. But you won't truly grow if He does. It's cute when we spoon-feed a baby, right? But it's not so cute when we spoon-feed our teenager. He wants us to grow. He wants us to become mature and whole in Him. And He is not going to spoon-feed you, brother or sister. It is a difficult life, and He is going to let you go through difficulties in order to seek after Him, in order to know and, and grow in His Word. You need God's wisdom, because without it, you will destroy your life. It's that, it's that stark. But how do we define wisdom? About... Fifty years before the birth of Christ, Cicero said, Wisdom is the best gift of the gods. It is the mother of all good things, the best and that which generates all the best. According to Cicero, if you had one wish in this world, it would be to acquire wisdom. Because if you had wisdom, you could acquire anything else that you want. Now, that's a worldly way of looking at it, right? But in reality, if you have godly wisdom, if you have wisdom that is from above, that statement becomes true. Not that you want everything that you want in life, but that you will get all that you need in life if you have true wisdom from above. The word that James uses for for wisdom is is a general word. The Greeks understood it to mean speculative knowledge, theory, philosophy. The the Hebrews gave it a much deeper meaning. They believed that it had to do with the ability ability to apply knowledge to the living of life. Wisdom, then, is, is not just head knowledge. It is the practical use of knowledge. It's not enough just to have knowledge... Wisdom then needs to be the practical, or is the practical understanding to live this life successfully. Wisdom is God-given if it provides the perspective necessary to see past our current situations of our current trial or our current trials to their end result. Let me make sure I I say that again. Wisdom then is God-given if it provides the perspective necessary to see past our current situations or our current trials to their end result. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's chapter 1, verse 4. 
He, the end result of our trials is to make us more like Christ. And for those who persevere, he, will, he has promised the crown of life to those who love him. Now James here pairs the word for wisdom with a word translated understanding in the NASB. This word in the Greek is used only here in the New Testament. It, it refers to a specialist or a professional who is highly skilled in some area of knowing or doing. The word has the idea of a person with uh, of, of a scientific person with a tone of superiority. I know some folks who have believe they have superior knowledge about life. They they have bought into worldly wisdom such as evolution, environmentalism, save the whale, save the planet, social justice. Just this past week, the Miss America pageant came out and said that they are eliminating the swimsuit competition. Now. Don't get me wrong, I'm okay with that. But here comes the rub. Here comes the rub. The reason that they're eliminating the competition, as you might expect, is the recent spotlight on the treatment of women, which makes sense except for this. Listen to this. Now there is a certain, let's just say pornographic actress, whom I won't mention by name, in deference to our listeners, in the news. Many of you have heard of her. She's connected with our president. I'll just say that much. Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor of New York, came out this week and said that we shouldn't take her seriously. He said, I'm sorry, but I don't respect this type of actress the way I respect a career woman or a woman of substance or a woman who has great respect for herself as a woman or as a person. Now, I'm not speaking to the politics of this. I'm not speaking to the politics of this. What I want to point out, though, is that, is that after he made this statement, many came out attacking him for making this statement. Many of the same people who cheered the end of the swimsuit competition came out in praise of prostitution and pornography as legitimate career choices. That is shocking, but it shouldn't be, right? Because this is where worldly wisdom and philosophies will lead you. It's a, it's a complete contradiction. But it makes sense because unbelievers, those who haven't bowed the knee to Christ, live in a complete contradiction in their mind. They, they can't help it, beloved. Worldly wisdom and philosophies will always lead you to save the whales and save the trees, but they kill the baby in the womb out of deference for the woman's choice. It's shocking when you put it that way, right? The whale sitting on the beach is more important than... The baby in the womb. Worldly wisdom will lead you to praise vile acts and denounce that which is good. There are people who believe then that they are wise and understanding. Unfortunately, these examples, are, are as shocking as they are, are not limited to the secular. Even in the church, people can espouse higher knowledge and understanding and look down upon those who, they, who, they, who don't believe as they do. They, they form cliques and, and they believe that they have arrived all the while saying, Oh, I'm so humble. But we must understand what the Bible says about wisdom and understanding. What James asks is, Who among you is wise and understanding? Now here, here, here he's probably echoing Job's question in Job 28.12. But where can wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? You see in Job 28, Job is in the process of denying or finding out, realizing that real wisdom can, can ever, denying that it can ever be found below, below by searching the earth. 
Thus the text says in Job 28, 28, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart, and to depart from evil is understanding. James echoes his, Job's conclusion that real wisdom must be revealed from above and it requires reverence for God, fear of God, and a humble spirit to receive it. We know from Proverbs, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is what? It's understanding. Now we might remember the story of Solomon in 1 Kings 3 if you want to turn there. Starting in verse 3, it says, Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. It says in verse 4, The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish to give me to give you. Then Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you, in truth and righteousness and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness, that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is to this day. Verse 8, Your servant is in the midst of your people which you have chosen, a great people which are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing, and God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked for yourself a long life, nor have you asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you, and no, no, nor shall one like you arise after you. I've also given you what you've not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among you, among the kings like you all the all your days. Now, Solomon asked for wisdom, right? And he received wisdom and riches and honor from the Lord. Solomon, though unfortunately, did not use this wisdom, or did not always use this wisdom in honoring ways. Now, with that as a backdrop, let's look at Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is written, I believe, by Solomon. Now, Ecclesiastes can be a hard book to understand. It seems out of place because of the many things that it says. But I want you to understand that it belongs in the wisdom literature of the Bible as a statement of what? Wisdom from below. Human wisdom. Ecclesiastes gives us wisdom then from man's viewpoint. It gives us a view of this world through the lens of what? Human wisdom. As such, we can avoid great heartbreak if we give ourselves to study and understand this book. Now, I think, again, that that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes from the vantage point of the end of his life looking back. So, he had lived his life, and now he's looking back on his life. And he's looking back on the tragedy of his life and had come to understand then the essence of godly wisdom. 
it's important because what we're doing here is, is differentiating between godly wisdom, wisdom from above, and wisdom from below. And just listen to how Solomon closes Ecclesiastes in Ecclesiastes 12.9. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher, that's, that's Solomon, also taught the people knowledge and he pondered and searched out and arranged many proverbs. The, the preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. Now it says in verse 13, the conclusion... So this is at the end, right? The end of the book. I believe the end of Solomon's life. He says the, collusion, the conclusion when all has been heard is, Fear God, keep His commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. You see then that he has come to understand godly wisdom. Wisdom that is from above. But the rest of the book then reveals the, the folly and the uselessness and the senselessness and the frustration of false human wisdom, wisdom from below. What James says is clearly earthly, natural, and demonic. Back in the first chapter then, now that we've set the stage, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, it says, starting in verse 12, this is, again, this is Solomon speaking. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. Skip down to verse 16. He says, I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has observed wealth of the a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realized that this was also striving after the wind. Because in much wisdom there is much grief. Increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. So the more he came to know and understand worldly and, and, and uh, wisdom that is from below, the more he realized that it brought much grief and an increasing knowledge brings much pain. Now does that make you think of what I told you about earlier with the suicides of these celebrities, right? The more that they know, the more worldly philosophies that they understand, the more that is at their disposal, the more pain and grief that comes. And it overwhelms many of them. Look at chapter 2. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. Solomon decided to test all the pleasures of the world to see what they would bring to him. He said in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 2, it is madness. He said of, of laughter, it is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? In verse 3, he said, I explored my mind how, with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is uh, for the sons of men to do under heaven for the few years of their lives. So he tested his mind, he stimulated his body with wine. And then he says in verse 4, I enlarged my works, I built houses for myself, I planted vineyards, I made gardens, parks for myself, I planted in them all, in them all kinds of fruit trees. 
I made ponds of water for myself in which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had home-born slaves. I, also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who had preceded me in Jerusalem. And I collected my, for myself silver and gold and the, treas- the treasures of kings and provinces. And I provided myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men and many concubines." Then I became great and increased more than all who had preceded me in Jerusalem, and my wisdom also stood by me. Solomon was greater than all who had preceded him, and he was the wisest. And you know what he said in verse 10? He says, All that my eyes desired me, I did not refuse them. I I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was the reward for all my labor. You see, Solomon had at his disposal all the pleasures and, and the rewards that this world has to offer. He had everything. There was nothing that he withheld from himself. And you know what the conclude you know the conclusion he came to? What this worldly wisdom brought him to? Listen to this, verse eleven. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind and there was no profit under the sun. You can have all these things, beloved. You can have all the money in the world. And what Solomon says is that it, there's, no, there's no profit in it. That it's, that it's vanity of vanities. It's striving after the wind. There's no profit. It does nothing to, but bring us to Sheol. Then Solomon turned his attention to wisdom and madness and folly. For what, for what, verse 12, what will a man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. Basically, you know what he's saying? Basically, Solomon admits that the only thing that the great wisdom of this world brings is great heartache. That's it. Yet, yet the same fate ultimately befalls the wise man and the fool. You can be the wisest man in this world, and you, the same fate awaits you as awaits the fool. So the wisdom of man is folly, and it is vanity of vanities. Rick Holland described it as the steam off a coffee cup. Here now, but gone in a few minutes. You set a coffee cup on the table, steaming, coming off of it. Five minutes later, there's less steam. Ten minutes later, the steam is gone. That is this life. Verse, chapter 2, verse 16, There is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool. Inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise man and the fool die alike die. So I hated life for the work which, has been, which had been done under the sun was grievous to me because everything was futility and striving after the wind. Beloved, brethren, your lives will be forgotten in just a few years. I don't care what you've accomplished in this life. Just think of your work. You may be the best at what you do, but someone will come along who's better than you. When I was young, I fancied myself as being the best at what I did. 
I, I prided myself at being the best at what I did, but now I look and I see there are many young men who are much better than I ever, ever was, was and ever could be. In just a few years, our lives will be forgotten. Such is the folly of this world and is the folly of following after worldly wisdom. Just think of those celebrities of this age who are in despair, right? They could have saved themselves great heartache by listening to the teachings of Solomon. Solomon explored worldly wisdom and his great conclusion was this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of true wisdom. Back in James, James describes the nature of, of true wisdom. He says, he says this, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show his good behavior by his deeds. James is clearly saying two things here. Or he's saying, saying one thing, but he's saying ultimately two. But first he's saying that true wisdom produces good works. James has already emphasized that wisdom is a quality that all believers should obtain, right? In, in chapter 1, verse 5, we saw that. James, James wants them to know that we shouldn't seek after earthly wisdom, or worldly wisdom. The worldly wisdom of the universities, even seminaries, right? Some, some seminaries, many seminaries. People like Dr. Phil and Oprah, the, the ladies on The View, our own experiences, our own view of life and the way it should be. We, we shouldn't seek after that worldly wisdom. We need to seek after wisdom that is from above, wisdom from the Word of God. You see, James is wanting them to, to, to invite any of his readers who might pride themselves on their own wisdom to consider seriously the nature of true wisdom. And it might have been surprising to them that James assesses these people's claim to wisdom not in theological terms, Not in how much doctrine they know, or even how much training they may have. He describes it this way, in practical terms. You have true wisdom, wisdom that's from above, show it with your good life. Show it with your deeds done in humility. It's a challenge. James wants the believer, he wants the believer to, to, to look at this and understand that if you have true wisdom that is from above, that your life will show it. It reminds us of his words in, in chapter 2, verse 18, to the believer who thinks that works and faith can be separated. This really forms a connection to that passage. In other words, if you're truly saved, then your works, your life will bear the marks of true salvation. You will have the aroma of heaven, God's kingdom on you. And your works will show that you truly have wisdom from above. How you act will show your obedience and love for God. James is saying that good deeds, virtuous deeds, wrought in Christ, is the basis on which one demonstrates his true wisdom. The Apostle Peter says much the same thing about the Christian life and Christian behavior. In 1 Peter 1.15 he says, But like the Holy, Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. In chapter, in chapter 2, verse 12, 1 Peter 2, 12, it says, Keep your behavior, what? Excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. In 2.15, he says, For such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of who? Of foolish, of foolish men. As I've said, the, the essence of James' point is a comparison between wisdom, which is from above, 
and wisdom which is below, from below. He says that, that wisdom will, uh, from above will not be revealed by what you know or even the words you use. The wisdom from above will be revealed by your good works. Can we look at your life and see a life of works done in righteousness? That's the question. Can we see good deeds and behavior that befit a relationship with the King of Kings and King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? James does not hold back in examining the life of the Christian, nor should we be afraid to examine our own lives in light of Scripture. Are you obedient to the Lord's commands? That's a question. In John fourteen fifteen, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep what? You keep my commandments. I read an article just this week. I sent it to a few of you, and I think we may have even posted it on Facebook, that said the only way to guarantee success in biblical counseling is if the counselee is willing to do whatever it takes to honor the Lord in his or her situation. That's it. I mean, that's it. Are you willing to obey? Are you willing to not only read the Word of God, but are you willing to obey it? Are you willing to obey the Lord? Second question, are you serving His church and loving His people? We must remember that Jesus gave His own blood for His church. Are you serving it? Are you loving His people? Or do you grumble and dispute about things? Paul says in Philippians 2.14, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among, among, you, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I, I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Do you hold on to bitterness and wrath in your heart? I'm, I'm asking because I, these, are, these are things, these, I'm, we're looking at the works, which the, the good deeds that, that are wrought in the Lord. And I'm asking these things because I want you, to, I want you to, to think about them in your own heart. Are you holding on to bitterness and wrath in your heart? Because Paul writes, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Are you unkind to your brothers and sisters in Christ? How do you speak about them when they're not around? Paul writes in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Here's the point. It's one thing to say that you're wise and understanding. It's one thing to make that as a statement. That you have this life figured out. But James says that your life will prove it one way or another. This is a test, beloved, that will never fail. If you have true wisdom that is from above, your life will show it. Your works will reveal the type of wisdom you possess, which leads us to the second assessment. Is your wisdom adorned by meekness? Now these go quicker. James says, in the gentleness of wisdom... As we have seen, he's clearly trying to say two things here, actually. That true wisdom produces what? Good works. And true wisdom produces, secondly, humility. Now, what we have to understand is that humility or meekness is not, was not prized by the Greeks. Much like in our own day, they thought it, it signaled a, a servility, unworthy of a strong and confident person. 
I remember when I was uh, back at another company that I used to work for, I, had a, I, had, I spent time on a leadership team for the company. I went to the, we went to the main office. We were there with the CEO, and it was a, it was a big to-do. It's a year-long program. I remember at the end of that program, we all voted on each other. We all voted to see who was going to be most likely to, to make an impact on the company. Kind of a weird thing, but that's what we did. I was voted least likely to succeed. Least likely to succeed with the company. Least likely to have any impact on the company. You know why? Because I was too humble and meek to get the job done. That was actually one of the early indications that God was calling me to Christian ministry. The second was when I interviewed with another job, that the psychologist who was testing me said, why don't you go and become a pastor? You, you're better fit to be a pastor than you are a, a somebody leading a company. He told me that, it, that I didn't have what it takes to run a company because I was too meek. And he, what he doesn't know is, is that I think I'm too proud. So. But that's the wisdom of this world, right? That's the wisdom of this world. That is wisdom that is not from above. Jesus himself claimed to be meek. In Matthew eleven twenty nine. it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He said in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the gentle or meek, for they shall inherit what? The earth. Christian meekness or humility comes from a complete understanding then of our position as sinful creatures in relationship to who? To a glorious and majestic God. You know, people, when they ask how you're doing, the best answer I've ever heard is better than I deserve. Why? Because I know my sinfulness does what? It deserves God's wrath. In James 4, 6, and 7, James elaborates on this by telling the readers to submit to God because God is opposed to who? The proud and gives grace to the humble. True humility then recognizes that we are utterly unable to achieve spiritual fulfillment or to chart our own course in this world. Do you get that? True humility recognizes that we are utterly unable to achieve spiritual fulfillment or to chart our own course in this world. We are completely dependent upon a sovereign God for everything. Paul, Paul says in Acts 17, The God who made the world and all the things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served with human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people, what? Life and breath and all things. And in in verse 28 he says, For in him we live and move and exist. We have our being in him. The Christian, the truly humble Christian understands that totally understands, completely understands that God is in charge and control of everything, including our trials and suffering. And our humility then before God then translates into a humility before others. In Ephesians 4.1, Paul writes, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Again, brethren, this is a test that will never fail. True wisdom and understanding will always be adorned by what? Good works wrought in Christ, but will always be adorned by meekness, humility, which leads us to the third test. Is your wisdom marked by bitter jealousy? 
That's verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This word for jealousy could be translated zeal. (coughs) Zeal can be a good thing. It was said of Jesus that zeal for the Father's house consumed Him. But James qualifies this word with the word bitter, which was used of water, water that's undrinkable. Bitter water, this is bitter jealousy. It's zeal for the wrong things. As the context of, suggests, he's thinking of the kind of jealousy or envy that people display when other people challenge them or challenge their ideas or, or gain some hearing. This is the sense that Acts, in Acts 5.17 when Peter and the, and the others were healing the sick and afflicted. It says in Acts 5.17, the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with what? Jealousy. And they laid hands on the apostles and put them in jail, in a public jail. See the same thing in Acts 13, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Many times when people pride themselves on their own wisdom and understanding, they can display a, display bitter, a bitter attitude, which is the antithesis of humility. You get that? They, 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 when they think that they, when they pride themselves on their own wisdom, they, they display a bitter attitude, which is the antithesis of true humility, which is produced by true wisdom. Paul wrote to the to the Romans, let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing or drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, and not in strife and jealousy. Beloved, jealousy is a sneaky little thing. Are you harboring a harsh or resentful attitude towards someone? Do you desire to have influence that someone else has? Do you get angry when you don't get your way? Do you envy someone's personality? Are you jealous of what they have in life? Do you desire even to have a ministry like theirs? If you do, this is an indication that your wisdom is what? It's an earthly, demonic wisdom. It's a wisdom that is from below. You are following worldly philosophies. This leads us to the fourth test. This leads us to the fourth test. Is your wisdom stained by selfish ambition? This word could be translated strife or contentiousness. It denotes a self-seeking pursuit. Uh, it, could denote, it could denote a self-seeking pursuit for political office by unfair means. It, it could be translated disputes or outbreaks of jealousy. Paul includes this as one of the sins of the flesh. In Galatians 5, he, he translates or it's translated their disputes. This, this word describes a bitter and sometimes violent conflict or dissension. It describes a situation that is likely to cause disagreement or argument. But it can also be used to, to describe a person who exhibits, that is, exhibits an often perverse and wearisome tendency to quarrels and disputes. In other words, a man or woman who has a contentious nature. Everything is an argument if you don't believe if you don't agree with their position. Sometimes even when you do agree with them, but there's some nuance of difference with them, they'll still argue. 
We've all seen these kind of people. And what James is saying is that selfish ambition can fuel this type of behavior. These people want to be seen as wise and understanding. and They want to have a certain reputation. In other words, they want a following. <clears throat> and they're willing to cause strife among the brethren. But James tells them, don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant and so lie against the truth. He's, it could be, he could be saying, don't boast. Don't, don't take pride in your own, your own wisdom and understanding. Don't put confidence in these things. He uses a form of, of, of the word that actually intensifies it. In other words, he's saying, you really think you're something. You really think you're something. You think you have life figured out, yet your life is, is marked by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. You're nothing but boastful and arrogant, and you do not possess true wisdom and understanding. The sense of this word, then, that he's using is best gained from the Old Testament verse that provides really the key background for its use in the New Testament. Jeremiah 9.23, listen to this. Thus says the Lord, thus says Yahweh, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boast of of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. If you're going to boast, boast in him. If you're going to boast, boast in him. To boast about wisdom when one is displaying jealousy and selfish ambition is in effect to give the lie or to lie against the truth and completely misunderstand what true wisdom is. Because true wisdom will always be revealed by good works and adorned by humility, by meekness. J.I. Packer says it this way, Not until we have become humble and teachable Standing in awe of God's holiness and and sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness, distrusting our own thoughts, and willing to have our minds turned upside down can divine wisdom become ours. Let me say that again. Not until we have become humble and teachable. Standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness, distrusting our own thoughts, and willing to have our minds turned upside down, can divine wisdom become ours. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow. Narrow is the gate that leads to everlasting life. Beloved, I want you to examine yourselves. Have you bought into worldly wisdom and philosophies? This is incompatible. It's incompatible with your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus. It's incompatible. Let me remind you of this. Turn to Colossians 2.6 as we close. Colossians 2.6 Paul writing. Paul says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, and established in your faith just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. 
Listen to verse 8. See to it. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. According to what? According to the tradition of men. According to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. What's Paul saying here? Paul is saying is we need to be diligent. We have to be diligent to make sure that we're not following after the world's philosophies, the world's wisdom, but that we need to be following after who? Christ. Because he says in verse 9, For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him you have been what? Made complete. That's James's whole point. He wants, he wants you, the Christian, to be complete. Perfect. You remember perfect and complete and lacking in nothing? That's the, that's the goal for the Christian is to be complete in Christ. And He is head over all things overall rule and authority. And in Him you were also circumcised with a circumcised made without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised up with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And when, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you, he made you what? He made you alive together with Him. Having forgiven us all what? All our transgressions. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us and He has taken, taken it out of the way having nailed it to what? To the cross. Beloved, you, if you have turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you need to follow after Christ knowing what He has done for you. That, that the transgressions, all your sins and transgressions have been nailed to the cross. Those things which were hostile to you, He has taken them out of the way. It's verse 15, When He had disarmed the rulers and authorities, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him. Look, the, this worldly philosophy that's, been, that's being uh, pushed by uh, these, these people who are following hard after the world... Uh, the rulers and authorities that are behind all this, He has made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Christ, through the work of Christ on the cross. Beloved, we have to live that way. We have to live according to that wisdom, not the wisdom of this world. Not the wisdom of of pop psychology and, and what the world says on television and what social media says. If you're here today and you haven't believed in Christ, you haven't turned to Christ, please know that you're still under Satan's dominion. You're still under the dominion of Satan. You're still following after worldly philosophies. And we've seen clearly where, the end, where that takes us. It takes you to destruction. I ask, I beg for you to repent and turn to Christ and follow the wisdom of God. Wisdom that is from above. And forsake the wisdom that is from below. It's, it, it's so clear. It's so clear when you look at what the world, where the world is going. When you, when you look at when people have everything that they want in this world, it leads them to what? To destruction. I mean, it's, it's clear. It's clear. I beg you to see it. I beg you to see it. And if you know Him, if you know Him... Don't dabble. Don't dabble in these things. 
Trust Christ. Yes, you're going to look like you're going to look strange in this world. Yes, you're going to do strange things. But narrow, right? Narrow is that gate. Narrow is that gate. Let us pray. Lord, I pray and ask that those here would consider these things. James says that wisdom which is from above will be adorned by our good works, exhibited by our good works, will be adorned by meekness. I do pray and ask that as a church we would consider these things. I pray if there be those who don't know you here, that they they would come to know you, that they would see the, the futility of this world. They would see that there's no hope in this world. I pray that those who have turned to you, that, that are following you, that they would take up their cross and follow you, meaning that they would give everything, or that they would sell everything they have, so to speak, that they would follow you. We thank you and praise you for your word. I do pray that we would follow hard after you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the commitment to preach your word. I praise you for that. I pray that you would bless this, t- this church, that you would bring others to come and hear, to come and know you, to, be, to bring glory to your name. In Christ's name, amen.